Hello, hi. Uh, morning, everyone. Hello, hi. Um, it is um, so nice to be with you here this morning. I have actually been in this building once before, which was for your installation. Uh, I haven't been back here since. And um, there's something good about having visiting preachers, isn't there? Because I barely know anybody in this room, apart from Tim and Joe, who's now gone. Um, but uh, it means that if you hear something today that kind of niggles at you or pokes at you, um, it's almost certainly the Holy Spirit has done that and not me, because I don't know you from Adam. So, you know, it's really worth paying attention this morning and um, seeing what God might have for us. Um, so we're going to be looking at the story of um, Stephen, the first uh, martyr of the church. Um, we're going to be covering a huge amount of ground in chapters 6 and 7 of Acts, so you may well want to look that up. Uh, it's on page 1098 in the, the Pew Bibles. I've just looked that up, and we'll be uh, reading through that in a minute. And uh, we'll kind of gallop through it and jump around, so well worth having in front of you. Um, I do know a handful of you in the room, um, because last summer uh, we went to the beautiful Gower, and we were doing, can we have the next slide, the, the family's youth weekend away, uh, which was a huge amount of fun. We had lots of sun. Uh, we had a lot of um, time together. I, I put some pictures together just on the next slide. Uh, you know, we had big white sandy beaches in the middle of August with almost nobody on them, which was incredible. We had a big fire pit. Uh, and, and we gathered um, in, a, in a converted barn, uh, which was now the chapel for the center. And, uh, and that's um, bottom right-hand corner. That's my family taking selfies while I was talking. Uh, so you can see we took it really seriously, really heavyweight. Um, but what we, were, what we were talking about on that weekend away, and I just wanted to kind of just quickly revisit it and recap it um, on the next slide, was um, what I call the story to live by. This is what we were exploring um, in, in our weekend away. And, it, and what I was suggesting is that this is the story of the Bible. This is the story that the Bible tells. Uh, and it's the story from Genesis to Revelation, but it's also the story that makes sense of our lives. It makes sense of what's happening inside us. And it also makes sense of what's going on in society and in what's going on in our relationships and everything around us. It's kind of like a, it's a, it's a lens through which to see the world. It's a worldview, and it comes straight out of Scripture. And, and it basically is just four big chapters, nice and easy, and it starts, if my laser pointer works, it doesn't work. Oh, I've got to turn it on. There we go. It starts up here with creation, and, uh, and this idea that we find in the book of Genesis uh, and, and right through the scriptures in the Psalms that God made the world, and when he made it, he made it very good, very good. And he made us to be with him. We were meant to be made in his image, uh, enjoying a relationship face-to-face -face with him, walking in the garden with him, a, a easy, an easy relationship with each other and with him. And that's the beautiful picture of what God wanted in the world. But very quickly, we move on to, to episode two in the story, um, which I call Fall. Um, this idea that because of human beings, because of something that happened uh, early on and that is still happening in us, there is this huge tendency in people to pull away from God, to, to rebel, to turn our back on him. Uh, and, and as a result, all sorts of things go wrong. Things go wrong in our relationship with God. We find it difficult to hear him. We find it difficult to do the things he's called us to do. Uh, things go wrong in our relationships with each other. Uh, things go wrong in our relationship with the earth, uh, with the created order. Uh, and everything is just harder. It's what, what the Bible calls sin. That's a word that quite often is misunderstood in our culture, and I, I quite often like to talk about brokenness. 
this idea that that, that beautiful world that God made up there and, and that relationships, the relationships he intended are, are broken. And um, what this does is it establishes a trajectory, a really bad trajectory that, you know, things were made to be very, very good, but this brokenness is deep inside all of us and it is dragging us away all the time. We're, we're, we're sliding down uh, away from God and however hard we try, we just can't get back to that easy, good relationship with him. What we need is a rescue, an intervention. So we go creation, fall, rescue. Um, the, the story that, that God doesn't wait for us to sort ourselves out, he knows we can't, he steps in and in the person of Jesus, in the life, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, he just changes the story. He, he, he grabs it and he flips it over and, it, and he puts to death the whole of one side of the story. He, he says that, that chapter is closed, that, that brokenness, we'll deal with that on the cross and welcome into a new life, a new story. And this is now a, a, an upward trajectory story, a story where we're heading towards the new creation. At uh, the end of all time, when, when Jesus comes back, steps back into creation, and as judge and ruler of all, he puts it right. The kingdom of God breaks in, the rule and reign of God is here, and all of those things that are broken are repaired. And, and the exciting bit about that is that we, as the people of God, are invited into this story as the people who have been rescued. We are the ones who are, are no longer sliding down this sort of slippery slide of doom on this side of the story. Instead, we're people here filled with the Holy Spirit, heading up towards the new creation, looking forward to the coming of God, looking forward to the end of all those broken, painful, difficult things. That, that's the story we were exploring. Right, does that sound familiar for those who were there? I know a hand, can see a handful of you were here. Um, and, and if not, so, so that's just a bit of revision for those who, who were there, and I hope you've kind of... Uh, kept that in your heads. Um, and the suggestion I, I made was this is just a really simple structure to have in your head when you're reading the Bible, thinking about, you know, where in that story is this story? Uh, and also when we're dealing with the complicated, difficult, hurting things of the world, looking at that story and going, right, so what, why has this gone wrong? What's wrong here? Uh, and where, how do we get from that side of the story to this side of the story when we invite Jesus in? What happens? What happens when the Spirit just changes this situation around? So that, that's our story to live by. And you're thinking, why is he telling me all this? We're meant to be talking about Stephen. And that's a really good point. Thank you. Thank you for bringing me back on track. Um, the reason we're talking about this, I'm just going to leave that picture up there, um, is because I think in the story of Stephen, we see Stephen using this story and living out this story. So we see him making sense of what's going on, his circumstances. We see him going, okay, so why, why is everybody against me? Why are they all opposing me? What am I meant to do with that? And then we see this story at work in Stephen. So we see how it makes sense of his past and what's happened to him and the way he's living now. And it also makes sense of where he's going and his future that he's so confident in. So it's a story that for Stephen makes sense of his now, makes sense of his past, and makes sense of his future. So that's what we're going to be exploring this morning. I hope that sounds interesting. And uh, we're, going to, we're going to just uh, read a chunk of that story now, and then we'll dive right into it. So um, we're in chapter 6, and we're going to start at verse 8. Now, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. 
Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we've heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law, and they seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They brought false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And then the high priest asked Stephen, are these charges true? Stephen says lots of really, really good stuff now. Uh, I'm going to suggest you have a little read of it later on, because it's quite long. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, I'm going to be shorter than Stephen today. Um, we'll, um, but we'll skip to the end. We will come back to what he says just in overview, but we're going to skip uh, ahead to verse um, 51. Sorry, we're in chapter 7 at that point, aren't we? So chapter 7, 51. So this is Stephen getting to the highlight, you know, the end of his, his speech. He, he's done an enormous kind of whiz through the Old Testament and, and some of the great characters, and he finishes up with this. You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels but have not obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I, have, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and they yelled at the top of their voices and they all rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, G Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So that's the story of the very first Christian martyr, the first Christian to die because they were professing their faith. Uh, and Stephen's a big deal. Um, he, he often gets slightly overlooked because unfortunately, uh, when the church gave him a, a saint's day, uh, they gave him the day after Christmas Day, which seemed like a good idea at the time, because Christmas Day was, you know, a big, a big celebration. Um, what they didn't know was that in, in years to come, we would mainly be stuffed with turkey on that day, and therefore not really paying a huge amount of attention to who's in the calendar. But it's meant to be, you know, like a really, one of the really big saints. And, and what's going on in this story, Stephen has been hauled up in front of the authorities because he's just living out a Christian life, uh, and they don't like it. Uh, and they want to know how he dares to say these things, how he dares to preach about Jesus, uh, and how he dares to hold out this hope. And 
It feels to me like you can almost, when you read through what he says in the Old Testament, you can almost see him like using this picture in his head. He's thinking, okay, okay, so what's going on here? I'm just talking about Jesus and filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm declaring the kingdom of God and I'm seeing it in words and action. Why are people so furious about this? What's going on? Where is this opposition coming from? And he's thinking, okay, so creation, so you know, the, the stuff that's happening now, this is what God intended, but, but there's going to be some fallenness in here. There's going to be some brokenness that's making it really difficult for people to stay connected to God. And they, they need this rescue story. They need that bit in order to be able to move into the new phase where filled with the Holy Spirit, we're looking forward to the coming of Jesus. So he's thinking that, he's ticking through, ticking through, and you can almost see him doing this really impressive thing. If you've ever wondered, you know, why, why is it important to read the Bible regularly, every day? It's so that you can do what Stephen's doing in front of the Sanhedrin. He's like running through his head this whole story of Scripture. And he, and he sort of name tags the big, big names of the Old Testament. You know, like it starts with Abraham, and he says, you know, Abraham uh, was called by God. This is the beginning of God gathering together a people, beginning the rescue plan. And, um, and he says to Abraham, you know, I want you to learn again how to trust me and how to be in my company, how to, to uh, actually, I will go with you when you leave your homeland, uh, and we're going to be together in this. But he also then notes quite quickly how soon it starts going wrong. He runs through, you know, down to Jacob, and oh gosh, yes, anybody who's read the book of Genesis, you know it starts going really badly with Jacob and his sons. His sons have all sorts of issues. They are the sort of, you know, iconic dysfunctional family in the Old Testament. And they end up selling Joseph into slavery. Stephen's talking about this in verse 9. And, uh, and then there's a famine. And then the family are kind of like in between Egypt and Canaan. And then a new king arises who, you know, knows none of the story of Joseph and none of, none of that, that uh, esteem that he was held in by the Egyptians. And then the story of the rescue, and Moses comes along, and there's a real problem, isn't there? Stephen kind of, you, I, I, it feels to me like he almost goes, oh yeah, hang on, there it is, there's a big moment, there's a big moment. Moses comes, and he thinks his job is to rescue the people. He, he, he thinks, you know, he's doing this bit. He knows there's a big, big problem, and he's going to do the rescue. But what happens is the people don't realize that Moses is doing that, and they reject him, and they're furious with him, uh, and they just turn away from him. And Stephen Stephen's sort of thinking this all through, and he's going, oh yeah, I, th I think I can see what's happening here. People are caught in this story. It is so powerful that, you know, we are meant to be good. We can imagine it. We can imagine what it is to be in a really beautiful, perfect relationship with God and with each other. But we just can't live it out. That brokenness is so deep in us, and it just keeps pulling us away from God. And there are plenty of people who have theories about how we can fix this problem. Yeah, I mean, if you look, look around you today, there are plenty of people trying to describe how to fix this problem. Yeah, if you read the right books, if you get the right ideas in your head, if you, if you learn the right skills, if you, if you meditate twice a day, if you learn some resilience, if you can do all those things, then your life, you're going to fix that brokenness, and, and it's going to be better. It's going to be what it should have been all along. It's going to be really good. Do you recognize that story going on? You know, there's, uh, there's, there's lots of people um, trying to, to climb back up the slope, trying to get back to where they, they think they should be. 
And actually, the story of Scripture is that, that that just keeps dragging us down. You know, there's even a Christian version of this, this Christian version of, I think I can fix this myself. And it goes a bit like this, that what God wants of us is to be good, and I will do my very best to be good. And then when I fall short, he will forgive me the rest. But what he really wants is for me to be really good. That if, that, if you've got that in your head, that that is the gospel, that that's the good news, that that's the story of what Christians are about, can I just tell you that the church decided within the first couple of hundred years that that was a heresy, that was absolutely incorrect. The idea that we do our best and then God forgives us the rest is completely wrong. The story of the Bible is that that brokenness is inescapable, that that brokenness is dragging us down and that there is nothing we can do. It will keep dragging us away from God. We cannot get back to him on our own. That effort just does not work. And Stephen is thinking, do you know, these people, they want to stay in control. They want to, you know, they they want to be good. They want to get back to that being with God and being in that good relationship with him. But actually, they don't realize that they can't do it by themselves. They need to let go, and they need to be rescued. You know, it's, it's almost like they, they literally need to let go of the wheel and put their hands up and go, God, I can't do this. I just can't do this. I need a rescue. I need a rescue. That is the gospel. You see, this, the, the hope of Christianity is, is so much worse and so much better than what people think. It's so much worse because you cannot do anything to fix your own brokenness. That is awful. It is hardwired, baked into us. But it is also so much better because God knows and God is on it. God has had a plan from the very beginning and it's a rescue plan. And it's a plan that steps in and says, I'll take that and then releases us into a whole new way of living. So Stephen sees this happening in those who are accusing him. They, they, they don't want rescue. They want to be able to fix it themselves. They're not impressed with the story of God coming and kind of taking it out of their hands. They want to be in control. So it's making sense for Stephen, this story. It's making sense of what's going on for him right now. It, it's also making sense for us reading this story of who Stephen is. Stephen is a real enigma. I, I, I don't know if you... Uh, kind of noticed that when Luke writes him up, Stephen gets a really good write-up, right? I mean, this, this, is, this is stuff I, I'd like on my obituary, if that's all right. If somebody's around when I go, can we have this sort of thing? So uh, chapter um, 6, verse 8, he's a man full of God's grace and power, right? Grace and power. I mean, that's a good combo. I like that. He's performing great wonders and signs among the people, so there's something dramatic about him that gets noticed, that this power of God in him is really obvious and really noticeable. In, chapter, in verse 10, uh, they can't stand up to the wisdom that the Spirit gave him. I would really love to be somebody. People go, oh, yeah, he's really wise. I like the wisdom that the Spirit has given him. Yeah, well, we can hope. Um, and then verse 15, when he stands before the Sanhedrin, there's something so amazing about him. His face is like the face of an angel. This guy is amazing. We like Stephen. Stephen's impressive. But 
Stephen is not one of the cool dudes of the book of Acts, right? Who are the cool dudes of the book of Acts? Paul, Barnabas, Silas, maybe Peter, maybe James, the apostles, the big guys, right? The guys who were with Jesus, the guys, the guys who were eyewitnesses to all of that, the guys who were sent out to plant churches around the world. They are the cool dudes. Stephen is not one of them. Do you know what Stephen is? Stephen's a guy on a rotor. If you, if you go back to chapter 6, there's a problem in the church because the church has started to have a little bit of squabbling. I mean, I know your church would definitely not be like that, but churches have a little bit of squabbling. And the problem is that, you know, there's quite a bit of admin to do around looking after some of the widows and making sure that people get the food and the help that they need. And the guys who are responsible for teaching and preaching are going, okay, look, there's a lot of this to do, and if we do that, then we're not going to be able to do what we think God's called us to do, so we need some other people to do this. So they pick them out, and one of the people they choose is Stephen. Stephen's on a coffee rotor, right? His job is to do the admin of the church. He's there to help this church keep going. I mean, interestingly, he's still a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. I mean, they want good people on their coffee rotor, but Stephen is not a superhero, Stephen is an ordinary Joe, as our American friends would say, right? This is a normal Christian. This is a guy who got too close to the church, and now he's caught up in the rotors, just like a helicopter. Stephen is actually living proof of the power of this story. This is an ordinary Joe who God stepped in and rescued, and now he's living this incredible life, this life full of the Holy Spirit, this life full of power and grace and wisdom, not because Joe is ama- not because Joe, not because Stephen is amazing, but because that's what the Holy Spirit is doing in Stephen. Because that is the power of God. When when we let go, when we take our hands off the wheel, when we say we can't do this, we just need your rescue, Jesus. Then He releases us into this new life where we are filled with the Holy Spirit, and now. We don't have to be in charge. We don't have to be successful. All we need to be is filled with the Holy Spirit and letting him do what the Holy Spirit does. Living on this side of the diagram completely reframes your life. You know if you are a Christian. You will know if you're a Christian because you have stepped from this side of the diagram onto that side of the diagram and it has changed everything, right? Christians are people who've been converted, people, people who have had their lives turned around and are now living in a completely different framework. And now, what, means, what does it mean to be successful has changed. What does it mean to be in control has changed. You know, actually, we know where we're going. We know where the story ends. And obedience to God and being filled with His Spirit, that's the hallmarks of being a Christian, And what you end up with is a life of amazing power and courage and purpose and bravery. It's a really, really appealing style of story. I mean, I know you're working your way through the book of Acts, and I love the book of Acts. I don't know if you're allowed to have a book of the Bible that is your definite favorite. Is that okay? Is that all right? I don't know, Tim. Is that okay? I don't know. I mean, it's all good. It's all good, but... Acts is really good, right? Because it's full of ordinary Joes filled with the Holy Spirit and what they're doing. And they're full of, they're incredibly brave and they're incredibly purposeful 
and they're constantly listening to the Spirit and just going and doing it. It's such an exciting picture of what a life filled with the Holy Spirit could be. So, where have we got to so far? So, a story that is making sense of Stephen's situation and a story that is making sense of who Stephen is and how he got here, his past, and the sort of life he's living. And finally, we're coming into land now, a story of where Stephen is going. Stephen is remarkably calm through all of this, right, isn't he? I, I mean, you kind of you slightly suspect he hasn't really understood what's coming. <laughs> but actually, I don't think it is that. I think it's just that his eyes are so firmly fixed on what is yet to come, what is yet to come. You see, for every Christian, part of the reason that we're so brave and so courageous and, and so willing to just go where God calls us is because we know how this story ends. You know, actually, whatever happens between here and there is kind of just meanders on the road. It's just, just steps along the way. Actually, we know that in the end, the promise is that Jesus is coming again and that the kingdom of God will be established and that his rule and reign will be over everything and that all of that brokenness will be sorted out. All of those tears, all of that pain, all of that loss. Do you know, that conviction in him is so strong that actually even death doesn't scare him. Of course it doesn't scare him. He lives in the power of the story of Jesus, the one who came to rescue, the one who went to death, and the one who wasn't conquered by death, who actually turned that over and conquered death himself. That's the story that is deep in Stephen, and that in this moment, even as they hurl rocks at him, he's like, I know how this story ends. I'm okay, I'm okay. I know where this is going. Yeah, it's really, really telling, isn't it? When they're, they're throwing stones, he, he prays, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Who does that remind you of? You hear, you hear it? That, that sounds like Jesus. That sounds like the things he said on the cross. Stephen is so firmly in this story, and he knows where it ends, and he knows that they can kill him if they like, but that's not the end, that actually this story keeps going. And he's just going to keep going where the Spirit leads him until he gets to that very end. This is what's so exciting about being a Christian is that when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we are beginning to live out that end days already. You know, that's the kingdom of God when everything is put right. But right here and now, we can start to see it breaking in. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit takes bits of that future and drops them in right now. That, that's why we see people healed. That's why lives are transformed. That's why impossible, intransigent situations just get sort of cut through like a Gordian knot when the Holy Spirit turns up and all sorts of other things look possible. It's because we're seeing the end. We're seeing the sorting out because the Holy Spirit breaks in the kingdom of God right here and now. That's why I'm so excited, and Tim's always been like this. He's always been so excited about just seeing that kingdom breaking in now. And that's why, you know, saying, come and pray, come and pray for healing, come and pray for the kingdom of God. It's what we do. It's what the church is. This is the gospel. I don't know if you've got that yet. I mean, that was, this has all just been a massive ruse to tell you the gospel because, I mean, that's basically when you pick any cool dude in the Bible and you unpick what they're doing, they're just telling you 
this incredible story of what God has done. That we were made to be with him. We were made beautifully. We were made awesome. But that's gone wrong. That's broken. We need the rescue. We need that unique event of history where Jesus just turns the story over and says, welcome into a new story. A story full of the Spirit, full of power, full of courage, full of direction and purpose. That's who we are. So folks, I wonder whether um, you'll just indulge me. I don't know if this is what you normally do or not, but, but I've got to the end of what I wanted to say. And I, I wonder whether we can just spend a bit of time listening and, and seeing what God might have to say to you this morning. You know, I think, I think the, the, the Bible is a powerful book. And when we open it and we read it and we take it seriously and when we invite him to speak to us through it, he does. Um, so would you, would you, if you're comfortable to do this, would you mind just standing for a moment? And um, this is not going to be me talking now. We're just going to stand in silence for a little bit and see what God might have for us. And you might want to just think about, you know, what of that story this morning speaks to me today? What is God saying to me right now? If it helps, you might want to close your eyes and we just pray, Holy Spirit, come and speak. We're going to be still for a little bit longer, but, but when I was um, praying just before delivering this, uh, I felt like one of the things that God wanted to speak to somebody about, maybe more than one person, was just a, a real sense of weight in your life, a real sense that actually, you know, you, you know I think you know Jesus, but, but you still feel that responsibility of trying to put right what's gone wrong, that brokenness. And I really felt like God just wanted to say simply to you that where the Spirit is, there is freedom. And he just wants to lift that weight off of you.
And if, um, if you're meeting with God, if, he's, if you feel like he's speaking to you, that you want, there's more to receive, then just keep going. Um, I'm going to invite James just to, to lead us in some songs. Um, join in with these if it's helpful, or just keep listening if it's not helpful. Um, just, just one final thing. If you, if you feel like God has said something really specific to you today, like a, like a, a moment in your life, you know, this, is, this is matters and it's going to change things in the future, then can I just encourage you not to leave today without sharing that with someone? I, I, I think Tim tells me that after the service, people are down here who will, who will be happy to pray with you. Um, it, it's not because there's any special magic in sharing it. It's just because sometimes when God speaks to us, it can really help us to put down a marker and say, yes, I heard you today, God. And, and I heard you say this, and, and I want to hold on to that, and I want that to be part of my life.